the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions. Happy to take your calls and answer your questions. Friendly producer Leroy standing by to take your call. It's 303-873-1935-303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And at the 5 o'clock hour, my friend Dr. Doug Groteis from Denver Seminary is going to be on the program with us as we're going to be talking a little bit about critical race theory. And for the last several days, we have been um, talking about a number of different issues, including the troop buildup um, along the Ukrainian border and whether or not Russia will decide to invade the Ukraine. Many analysts and many news outlets are basically reporting that by and large, the decision seems to lie almost exclusively in Vladimir Putin's hand, that what he decides will take place will in fact take place. And my friend Joel Rosenberg at allisrael.com wrote that in the year 2000, three Russian journalists published a book about Putin titled First Person. And in this article, uh, Joel Rosenberg makes a remarkable statement. Now, this is a guy who's been – I've lost count. I know that it's more than 10, maybe less than 20 books on the New York Times bestselling list. But he wrote it's one of the most important books ever written about the Russian president, not because the journalists offered their own analysis or insight into Putin, but because they simply let him speak for himself. They interviewed Vladimir Putin on six separate occasions, each time for about four hours. So let's do the math. Six times four, that's 24. That's a lot of hours of input. Again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program. And um, basically, Joel writes that the book is merely a transcript. And when it comes to understanding Putin's ambitions and approach, Joel Rosenberg refers to it as a gold mine of intelligence. And Joel repeats from the book what what Vladimir Putin thinks. And Vladimir Putin said, my historical mission 
is preventing the collapse of the country. He said to do this, he vowed to consolidate the armed forces, the interior ministry, the FSB. Now, you may not know what the FSB is, but it was the successor to the KGB, which is the secret police of the former Soviet Union. And then he said, if I can help save Russia from collapse, then I'll have something to be proud of. Now, I want to pause because many people don't realize that yesterday was in part a catastrophe for Russia. Um, The Russian stock market lost 7% of its value yesterday. Um, I don't know how much of of its value it lost today. Most people don't realize that Russia is suffering profound and severe economic distress. Now, when we ask and we answer the question, which countries are the most likely to experience an economic collapse? Well, Russia's high on that list. But it might come as a shock and a surprise to you that the United States is also high on that list. And so Putin, when he was asked about his own style of leadership, Putin said, everyone says I'm harsh, even brutal. He said, a dog senses when somebody's afraid of it and bites. He says, the same applies to dealing with your enemies. If you become jittery, they'll think that they're stronger. Only one thing works in such circumstances to go on the offensive. You must hit first and hit hard that your opponent opponent will not rise to his feet. Now I want you to think about that because there's two ways of thinking about it. Vladimir Putin has basically already acknowledged or conceded that he is the kind of guy who's going to invade Crimea. He's going to do things first and ask questions later. Now, again, this might be moderated, if you want to use that term, based on the likely economic collapse of Russia. So he's got two vital interests. Remember, his mission in life is to help save Russia from collapse. So he's in this situation. What are the factors that are generating the potential collapse of Russia? And what are the resources that are going to be necessary to prevent Russia from collapsing? And so again, it is with bated breath that many of the planet Earth's leaders are asking and answering the question, what will he do next? 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the air. And so, um, again, at allisrael.com, Joel has a wonderful, um, several articles actually, Putin on the verge of the largest invasion since World War II in Ukraine. Biden says as NATO starts beefing up forces on the Eastern Front. And then his article, a czar is born. Who is he? Will he invade the Ukraine? Um, Is he a threat to Israel? 
And when asked and answered the question on the czars of Russia, Putin said from the very beginning, Russia was created as a super centralized state that practically laid down its genetic code, its traditions and the mentality of its people, said Putin, adding that in certain periods of time, in a certain place, under certain conditions, monarchy has played and continues to this day to play a positive role. Now, it's interesting when he says monarchy has played and continues to play a positive role, because we have to ask and answer the question, does he view himself as a monarch? Vladimir Putin said the monarch doesn't have to worry about whether or not he'll be elected or about petty political interests or about how to influence the electorate. He can, think about the, he can think about the destiny of the people and not become distracted with trivialities. Now, again, as you hear Putin in his own words talk what he sincerely believes, I'm going to suggest to you that if his sincere belief is he doesn't care what you think, he doesn't care with the popular opinion around the world. He doesn't care about what his own people think. When he was asked about history's most interesting leader, his response was Napoleon Bonaparte. Interesting. 303-873-1935. That's my number if you want to join me on the program. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, and of course, I'm texting uh, <laughs> Joel Rosenberg uh, right at this very moment, moment, saying I'm talking about you on the radio, and of course, his article on uh, Putin and how fascinating it is, and before we went to the break, you know, we talked about Putin. And, and again, you should go to allisrael.com, allisrael.com, and uh, pick up the article, or at least read the article by Joel Rosenberg about his mission in life, which is to prevent the collapse of Russia, his style of leadership, his view of the czars of Russia, uh, history's most interesting leader, Napoleon Bonaparte. And then on his own rise to power from spy to president of Russia. Vladimir Putin said, quote, in the Kremlin, I have a different position. Nobody controls me here. I control everybody else. So pause and think about that. If your deeply held conviction is... Here's how this is going to work. I control everybody. Nobody controls me. When asked the question about is Putin a, a communist or a Christian, according to the interview that was conducted in the article at all, allisrael.com, it says Vladimir Putin is not an ideologue. In other words, <clears throat> that he isn't wed to a particular ideological framework. Joel Rosenberg writes, though he grew up in the epicenter of communism and he was a loyal agent with the Soviet KGB, there's no evidence that 
in his core, he's a Marxist, Leninist, communist. Nor is he driven by religion. He claims to be a Christian. He occasionally attends the Russian Orthodox Church. He poses for photo ops with Orthodox priests and refers in speeches to the church and its importance in Russian life more than any Russian leader since the day of the czars. But Joel Rosenberg says, but there's no evidence that he has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or that the teaching of the Bible actually shapes or guides his actions. Rather, the evidence suggests Putin is playing on the deep cultural and nationalistic affection the Russian people have for the Russian Orthodox Church to advance the popularity uh, to advance his popularity and, and political power. Now, again, at allisrael.com, Joel is making these comments. But I, again, I want to point something out. Remember yesterday, I said, remember, Ukraine is, is a country that borders Russia that's about the size of Texas. It's a little bit smaller than Texas. But in the Ukraine, there is a number number one, of, Ru- of Russian-speaking um, citizens in the Ukraine, and number two, there's a number of people who identify themselves as, as a part of the Russian Orthodox Church. So Joel, of course, asks the million-dollar question. And the million-dollar question, of course, is who is he? Who is the Russian leader? And what does he really want? 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And Joel writes, I believe there are two ways to explain Putin. Joel Rosenberg says, the first possibility is that Putin sees himself as a modern-day czar, a strong authoritarian, even totalitarian monarch, divinely chosen to work for the glory of Mother Russia, for her power, for her expansion, for her riches, for her supremacy in the world. And though he mourns its demise, I don't think he wants to rebuild the Soviet empire. Now, this is interesting what Joel is saying. (coughs) He's saying... Why bother absorbing all the headaches of the former republics since he fears the prospect that Russia could ever appear weak? He looks for low-risk, high-reward military adventures that make Russia, that is, himself, look strong. And the second possibility is that Putin sees himself as a Russian version of the Godfather a gangster, a phenomenally wealthy and murderous mafia boss. These are the words of Joel Rosenberg. Now, again, I don't want to perpetuate Italian stereotypes, but Joel Rosenberg says, but Putin is not the aging Vito Corleone. Nor is he the rash and impulsive Sonny Corleone, who in his anger lets down his guard and allows himself to be assassinated at the toll booth. 
Putin is more like Michael Corleone, cold, calculating, driven by an insatiable lust for money, power, vengeance, respect, ungoverned by the laws of men and willing to intimidate or kill anyone who gets in his way. These are pretty strong words. Joel Rosenberg says every American... Israeli and Arab intelligence official I've spoken to has a slightly different view. But generally, they fall into one of those two camps. And Joel Rosenberg said, I see Putin as a combination of the two. In his heart, he sees himself as Mikhail Corleone. But in his public persona, he portrays himself more as Tsar Vladimir IV, trying to put a more nationalistic and therefore a more acceptable face on his own greed and ambition. Joel Rosenberg's conclusion? Either way, he's a dangerous man. And so, what does he believe? What does Joel Rosenberg believe about what will happen? What will happen? Now, again, there are many, many people who, A, fall into the category of um, Putin will not and Russia will not invade Ukraine because it's economically untenable and because the very thing that Putin fears most, the collapse of Russia, could in fact be precipitated by such an invasion. But Joel Rosenberg says at allisrael.com, I believe that Putin could very well invade all or part of Ukraine this year because he truly believes it belongs to Russia. Because he believes President Biden is unlikely to make the Kremlin pay a real price and because it would allow him to strike fear into NATO and all of his neighbors. Joel says Putin is also a clear and present danger to the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, all who are desperately requesting to dramatically beef up America and the NATO military presence. What for? As a deterrence to Tsar Putin. But so far, they've received very little help. Now, what's interesting is, of course, Joel Rosenberg wrote a political thriller a few years ago called The Kremlin Conspiracy, where drawing on all of that information, he envisioned a Russian dictator who could mow down Baltic defenses, seize control, not of one, not of two, but all three of the Baltic countries. Guess how long it would take us? About 96 hours. Think about that. In three days, the whole world changes. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. If you'd like to call the program, it's 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. And, of course, spent a lot of time talking about 
Vladimir Putin, who um, my friend Joel Rosenberg has done the deep dive at allisrael.com. So encourage you to read his article on the subject. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. Also in the news, of course, is the um, information that's been, well, it's been reported in almost every major news outlet across the country that the Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is, uh, he was, basically there seemed to be a lot of pressure that was put on him to retire. And now it looks like he might, in fact, retire. And, of course, he um, is a liberal on every sense of the term. NBC News reported Wednesday um, that President Biden will have his first opportunity to place a nominee on the court, even though it's unlikely that it's going to shift uh, dramatically the ideological balance. Breyer, who's a member of the court's three-member liberal bloc, has been, well, a stalwart supporter of legalized abortion. LGBT interests. With nearly three decades on the bench, he was nominated by President Bill Clinton in 1994. And according to news outlets, he's going to announce his retirement, well, tomorrow, according to the media reports. And uh, the president's nominee will clear the Senate if all 50 members of the Democratic caucus vote together. And the president has unshakably said that he plans to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Now, I'm not philosophically or ideologically opposed to the president nominating a black woman. What we have to ask and answer is what role will competence play and what role will the content of character play? So are there black women with both the competence and confidence to uh, make the cut? Now, what's interesting to me is um, a lot of news outlets are reporting on a district, um, the the Washington, D.C. district court's recommendation of a, of a particular woman who is a Harvard Law School graduate. She clerked for Justice Breyer. And um, so it wouldn't surprise me if there is someone. Now, again, does this mean that this person will line up ideologically? No. Um, will this person literally be a, a constitutional originalist or a conservative? The answer is no. Um, but it should it should seem interesting how this is all going to unfold. One of the uh, possible nominees actually clerked for Justice Breyer, and so the president said, "Let him make whatever statement he's going to make. I'll be happy you to talk about it later." And, of course, White House spokesperson Jen Psaki said it's always been the decision of any Supreme Court justice if and when they decide to retire, how they're going to announce it, 
and that remains the case today. We have no further details, she said, to share from the White House. So for months, months, and months, liberal activists have encouraged Justice Breyer to retire, fearful that Republicans would block a nomination in 2023 or 2024 if they take control of the Senate. And again, um, we're about to see what's going to unfold. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Sheila, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, Gino. Uh, A question. um, Do you know anything about Rob Bell? Unfortunately, I know a lot about Rob Bell. Oh, oh dear. Okay, because apparently my adult kids are getting very much taken with him, and he drew quite a crowd when he came to Denver about four weeks ago. And I'm just kind of concerned about where he stands biblically. Well, in my view, there's no issue of essential Christianity that he hasn't denied. In other words, Rob Bell gets almost everything wrong about the Bible. In his view, religion has hijacked the Bible. And again, his view, he talks about an ultimate reconciliation, which is code for universalism. And so with universalism, guess what? That means, well, you know, even though people are bad, Jesus has died for our sins, and everyone will ultimately be reconciled to God in his view. So Bell explains the Bible as a book about what it means to be human, but not in a theological sense, but rather in almost a psychological um, sense. So in his view, he, he denies almost everything basic to Christianity. So are you saved by grace through faith? Not according to Bell. Uh, do, do you have to receive Christ as your Savior? The answer is no. Um, when he's discussing the book of Leviticus, he explains that the sacrificial system was a human invention put into place to deal with our feelings of fear and guilt. Wow. So does he believe everybody goes to heaven then? Well, he believes in, in a sort of an ultimate reconciliation. And so by that, what does that mean? That means hell actually becomes sort of irrelevant. He um, you know, wrote a book called Love Wins. And what does he mean by that? In, in his view, love wins the day because nobody has to go to hell. So what he winds up doing is he literally abandons historic orthodoxy. You know, my friends at uh, at um, Babylon B, you know, it's a sarcasm site, basically oh. said um, that he's run out of essential doctrines to to deny. Um, wow. You know, they're they're making fun of him, but in yeah. a very real sense, it's true. Wow. Well, does he have a? Um, I, I don't want trying to find the right word. A church in Denver that peop, that is that expo, uh, uh, believes in his theory that has drawn people. It, in a very real sense, I, I think what I would say is there are what I 
And again, I don't mean this in the political sense. I mean this in the in the theological sense. He is a liberal, and by liberal, I mean he he liberally interprets the Bible. Okay. Um, to make sh- uh, uh, being affirming and inclusive. And so in his book, Love Wins, that's when he basically denies a literal interpretation interpretation of hell. Well, does he believe in the resurrection, though? That's a good question. And, And again, when we ask and we answer the question, I would say yes. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. He argues that because Jesus has risen from the dead, everyone will be ultimately reconciled. In other words, it's the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that makes it possible that no sinner will have to forever experience eternal suffering. So is there like a formal judgment then or just an automatic... Well, you hold on, and I'll, I'll try and answer that question when we come back, okay? Uh, absolutely. Thank you. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Very quickly, we're going to take a couple of calls, 303-873-1935. We're talking with Sheila, and Sheila, you asked the question about Rob Bell. Does yeah. he believe that there will be a judgment? Now, this, this is kind of an... Uh, a, I, I want to be careful, and because I certainly don't want to misrepresent Rob Bell's position. Okay. So the way the way that I would think about your question is, it depends on what you mean by that. If you mean, um, does Rob Bell believe that there will be a judgment in the sense that there will be a time of of pruning, um, there will be a time, in in other words, in order to have a biblical view of justice, somehow injustice has to be dealt with. And so in that sense, uh, Rob Bell would say there's going to be a serious evaluation that's made, or there's a serious considerations that are made. But what he winds up doing is he winds up redefining the ultimate judgment. Um, Does so Rob Bell was asked, you know, about hell and he believes it's a temporary place of correction before entering eternal life with God. So in that sense, let's pause and think about this for a moment. He, that would be very much like the Catholic, the Roman Catholic view of purgatory, Right. where human beings are purged, if you will, but all Roman Catholics would argue, and Rob Bell would argue, that even though they're in this place of purgation or, or punishment or discipline, they're right. going to uh, eventually get out. Right. Um, yeah. You know, on an American troop ship, soldiers asked the chaplain, do you believe in hell? And the chaplain said, I don't believe in hell. And then they said, the soldier said, well, then you need to resign because if there's no hell, we don't need you. And if there is a hell, we don't want to be led astray. And so 
this is the ultimate issue. The ultimate issue is that typically the most sobering um, denial that begins to take place is what you just brought up, judgment. The, mo- the, the first and most serious doctrine to be n- denied in the Scripture is judgment. My friend, um, who I used to listen to religiously on the radio, Walter Martin, would say, if there was, is no hell, then, then there is no devil, because hell was made for the devil and his angels. If there's no hell, there's no devil. If there's right. no devil, there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no Savior. Yes. And, yes. and so that's where... S- that's where I would say no, no, no. Rob Bell's ministry cannot be recommended. Wow. Was there like a Rob Bell church? <laughs> well, there was, and he <laughs> resigned from that. Um, right, even, I mean, after he changed his um, traditional Christian views, is there again? Is there a place in Denver that if you uh, believed in his beliefs, that you would go? I'm I'm trying to remember the name of a you know a so-called liberal church that would be sympathetic and supportive of 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 his right. views and I'm right. not thinking of any Okay there might not be it's just a, a general No I I'm belief or... I'm fairly certain that there are a number of churches that would okay. be sympathetic and supportive of his views Okay well that's very disturbing to me <laughs> I'm um Sorry to hear that, because my kids uh, seem to be embracing that, I think, with the idea that, again, that the old standby that a loving God um, would never hurt people or send people to hell. Right. Um, and so what they do is they say they're, they're, they're embracing Rob Bell's view yes. that if God is good, then his goodness, we have to figure it out, because the Bible misrepresents the goodness of God. Wow. Okay, well, that makes me very sad. <laughs> and, well, it should. Hey, yeah. thank you for your call. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Mm, 303 Let's slip Jim in. Jim, welcome to the program. Hi, Jim. We lost Jim. Well, that's why I hung up with the other lady so quickly. I know that Jim wanted to talk about Russia, and um, I don't know exactly what he wanted to ask about Russia. Um, so if you want to call me, 303-873-1935. And earlier, obviously, I was talking about my friend Joel Rosenberg in Israel and who writes at all at all, um, all Israel Times. Um so I want to give out that website, All Israel News, excuse me, allisrael.com, allisrael.com. So 303-873-1935, I guess the way that I'm, even though I don't have Jim from Lakewood on to talk about Russia, the, the way that I, I guess I'll sort of talk with you for the few minutes that I have left is, does the Bible have anything to say about what you and I would call Russia? Now, obviously, Russia is back in the news. And again, we're clearly talking not just about what happened in Crimea, what seems to be happening in the Ukraine and all of Eastern Europe. What does this have to do with end time? And of course, many, many people quote Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 through 3, where the prophet Ezekiel says, quote, 
the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So Ezekiel talks about Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal. Who are who are these? Is this a reference to a person, a place, or a thing? And I'm going to suggest to you that Gog in this instance is a reference to a person. So whoever Gog is, he's from the land of Magog and the leader of Tubal and Meshach. Some translations actually add Rosh to the list. And there's a confederacy of nations, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, Beth Togarma. So whoever he is, he's going to have plans to attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people. That's verse 11, 14, and 18. Who are these people? Well, most scholars believe that this is a reference to Israel. So if Gog is a person, is it... Is it going to be like Caesar in Rome or Candace in Ethiopia or Pharaoh in Egypt? Is this the leader of that particular people group? So whatever God's plans are in that particular instance, according to the text, the Lord God is against him and is going to defeat him soundly. Now, again, is is what's happening between Russia and Ukraine or Crimea the same as what Ezekiel 38 is talking about? I don't, I don't think so in the sense of, is it possible that Putin has his eyes on Israel for reasons that we are unaware of at this particular moment? But in Ezekiel 38.4, it says, and I'll turn about and put hooks into your jaws, and I'm going to bring you out. And all of your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host of them with buckler and shield. So there seems to be some indication where where God is going to fulfill his plans and his purposes. So Magog is a land in the far north from Israel's point of view. Again, many Bible commentators see Magog as Russia. And indeed, Russia is due north of Israel, all the way up to the Arctic Circle. So according to this view, Rosh is a reference to Russia. Meshach is either Moscow or the people who are north of the Black Sea, which is the area of southern Russia and Ukraine. And Tubal is always listed with Meshach as a city in Siberia, perhaps central Turkey. And there you have it. 303-873-1935. Joining me in a moment. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, 
uncovers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.